You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. My name is Rob Assel. I am a senior software engineer at this.labs, and I am so excited today to talk about neural interfaces JavaScript, and all the promise of this kind of technology with one of our good friends, Alex Castillo. Alex is a co-founder at Neurosity, a GDE, formerly at Netflix. He's a TED speaker. Um, he's all over the place. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Castillo underscore underscore IO. Alex, how are you doing today? Hey, Rob. I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. How are you? I'm great. And I'm super excited because honestly, this tech is fascinating. The whole concept of neural interfaces and the ability to expose that to uh, app developers um, and the JavaScript community is amazing. So for anybody that didn't get a chance, first of all, Alex was a, a recent TED speaker and it's a great TED talk, sort of introduces the promise of this technology or why we're even talking about it. But a lot of people still won't have seen that. and. and you know, pause this maybe and watch that and then come back. But uh, can you give at least a little bit of an introduction to what this field is that you're in, this neural imaging and how it interfaces with, uh, you know, interfaces in, in software development and things like that? Absolutely. So what this neurotech field is about, it's about capturing physiological data. In this case, we're talking specifically about data from the brain. So as our neurons, as our billions and billions of neurons are creating electrical activity, right? Uh, we're able to pick those up with hardware that we have created. This is, this is based on technology that is not new. It's actually pretty old. Uh, what we're doing is that we're using our skills, right, and our design skills, engineering skills, and problem-solving skills to create hardware with uh, microcomputers that are able to pick up the signals, and we can apply machine learning in real time. And this changed the game drastically. And I'm going to go into more detail about why. But what does the world look like when we are able to get data from our mind, right? Data that you that you're consciously want to be uh, picked up, right? We're talking about here uh, intentions, more specifically motor-based intention. So if you think about uh, reaching for a cup, right? You're able to pick up that intention without actually doing the actual movement. So we're able to uh, effectively do like mind control and do things, uh, convert those intentions into computer commands that can control basically everything that is internet connected or wireless. All with JavaScript. Of course, always with JavaScript. Um, yeah. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that first struck me is the promise of this technology. I don't know if this is, was core to your guys' mission. Uh, I'm sure it is now if it wasn't. But is, is accessibility. Um, to me, the amount of people that maybe uh, struggle with traditional interfaces, this seems like a technology that's built exactly to tackle those issues. I'm really curious, have you guys done testing either maybe with people that have uh, lost a lot of motor function, um, say, in their arms or their hands, so that traditional interfaces might be more difficult? Like, do, do, this is weird to say, do their brains still produce the same types of signals that can be picked up by this tech? Like, is that something that would help these people out? Right, so 
Neurosity, we are all about empowering the mind. And I know that may sound abstract at first, but if we are able to leverage our thoughts, right, to go beyond our bodies, what could we accomplish? What could we not accomplish? And accessibility is definitely one of the many areas that could benefit from this because the area that we're using for control, right, for motor control, motor-based control, uh, comes from the motor cortex, which is an area up here in the brain. And it, the, the body is still able to produce uh, uh, enough electrical activity that can be picked up, right? Uh, of course, there are many edge cases, of course, um, but uh, they, they, there is proof that people that, let's say, are paralyzed from the neck down, and I, I know this depends on, like, when did the change in the body happen, uh, they are able to still uh, do the, these imagined thoughts and being able to be picked up by uh, EEG, which is the technology that we're using at the moment. So... This is why I get so excited is because Notion, which is our device, our neural interface, is the first device of its kind that is able to communicate directly with another device without a computer needing to be in the middle to be able to receive the data, process that data, and then send that over somewhere. Since this device can... Um, uh, runs the machine learning on board uh, and is internet connected. Let's say if we have an IoT wheelchair, and by the way, we're doing a lot of research about this. It's something I'm very passionate about. If we have an IoT wheelchair, we can, you know, uh, communicate directly from the device, which means if you can do that, you know, and you're outside, you know, in range of internet connectivity or, you know, local Bluetooth connectivity, you don't need a computer in your lab. And you're able to be autonomous because you can you can turn those motor-based intentions, even though you cannot move your body into computer commands that in this case would map to you know pushing chair forward, uh, breaking, uh, rotating, and so on and so forth. That is, I, you know, you don't even think about that. That's what's interesting about this technology is literally. You're only constrained by your ability to imagine how it can be used. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when you stop and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it turns it turns your brain into mouse clicks and keyboard events. Okay, cool, right? And then you start thinking, no, it could control your wheelchair so that it's like you're able to drive yourself or something like that, or you know, any other device that your mind could bring it to. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, other areas that could definitely benefit are. Uh, we're talking about spatial computing, right? Being in a virtual environment. There are limitations because we can see the environment, but in, you know, uh, the physical and real world, uh, spatial computing has like a big opportunity to benefit from thought-based uh, navigation and uh, control as well. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm figuring that anybody that talks to you asks you this, but I'm curious about the actual device. Like when you have to detect stuff like this for any of these neural interfaces, is it physically making contact with your skin? It's certainly not, I'm assuming it's certainly not injecting anything into your skin, um, but it's not detecting emissions, right? It's not, it's not like picking up waves that are coming out of your brain or anything like that. Or I guess maybe I'm, I'm bouncing no, no, so on the border. You're, between you're, you're kind of close. So the way it works is that 
this, this device, and I wish I brought it, I didn't know it was going to be video recorded, that's why I was like, why bring the device if it's going to be audio? I wish I had it here. Um, but the device you put on top of your head, and it has small sensors that they go through the hair, right? Uh, and ultimately, these tiny sensors, they touch your scalp. Um, and what we're sensing is the electrical activity produced by our neurons and then uh, that go all the way up to the scalp that can be sensed. And we're picking basically microvolts here, like very, very, very tiny, right? It, it's not usually the way we talk about ourselves is that we're basically a computer that gets powered by food. Like 20% of everything of the energy, right, that we consume goes straight to our brain, right? I think our brains are like the most advanced computer, but we have this body that allows us to do so much, right? I think it's amazing what we can do, but when we, you remove that limitation, what does the mind become? So that's how um, EEG works, basically. And this is the same technology that is used to detect like abnormalities and you know brain waves and predict seizures and many other things. Uh, electricity is like that foundation, and I think we're we're really starting to understand more about what does the electricity produce from humans. Like, what is the potential of that? For you know, uh, back in the day, we were trying to create electricity. Um, we haven't producing electricity ourselves, which we you know came to find out at some point. But my my point is that there's so much potential in that electricity, and I think there's so many things that are unknowns that could definitely benefit like how humans you know kind of like move forward into the future. Awesome. So. One thing that struck me because in the so you guys released a video for the for the um, for the notion that your guys' product and yeah I think this scroll so the video is for anybody that hasn't seen it go watch that as well it's also in the TED talk so there you go um, I watch that for sure yeah so it, it, it's somebody that's stirring something like making a recipe and on the side is a tablet that's scrolling so she doesn't have to scroll it herself she can keep working and the tablet oh. will keep moving the the recipe up for her. And what struck me with that is that here are multiple different motor impulses and intents happening simultaneously, but somehow the system is able to separate them. I don't know if you're able to speak to how that's possible. Is that a combination? Yeah, is, is that just the tech? Is that her training as well? Is it both? Like, how do you do that? I think you're asking the best questions. Um, so the video, right, uh, Marquini, she is... Uh, creating uh, cooking uh, quiche, and she's you know whisking some eggs, and what you cannot see in the video is that her hands are dirty, and she's able to map a, a while she's actually moving, let's say her right arm, she's able to uh, basically produce electricity for a motor-based intention that is uh, trained with her left hand, or it could be for all that matter her feet. Right, that specific video was with uh, a left hand movement uh, that was trained. So um, when Cheese uh, was trying it for the first time, it wasn't it wasn't working really well. It wasn't very accurate um, because it was basically using uh, other people's, uh, you know, myself included, like trained motor based movements. Um, so we do share like a third of our of our brain when it comes to that that type of data and. 
once we did a training for her, uh, it basically increased uh, the, the, the probabilities because it, it, it had basically her fingerprint when it comes to the way she specifically thinks about that movement. And it was able to be more accurate. So she was thinking about a let him pinch movement and that was mapped to a scroll down event. And that went um, directly to that uh, page that she was calling. And I, the, the moment that I'm never going to forget, which I'm really happy was captured in the video, is like her face when she like realized what she was doing without really doing it, or at least it couldn't be perceived by someone around her. And that is what we call think to scroll. I want to add something to that because I think there's something even more impressive, which is I gave uh, a live demo for think to scroll at a conference uh, not too long ago. But this time I did something different. Instead of having someone scroll like the projected uh, view of a page, I had uh, everybody in the audience, over 100 people, uh, open up a website that was connected to the device and the person scrolling down, not only scroll down the projected view, you know, but every single phone, computer, and tablet that went to that website at that time. And I'm going to tell you, the feeling of having that power, it's incredible. This is not a real world, uh, real world use case, of course. I mean, who goes around? It's like, I want to just control all the computers around me, right? But we, we need to highlight a little bit of like what type of potential we're talking about here so that's what I have on think to scroll that's really cool so again like I don't know the, the depths to which you know the science but just I'm fascinated by this that you know there's this idea that if I have two intents playing in my brain you know do they constructively interfere or are they truly delaceable like that and it sounds like you're saying that no matter how many things as long as you've properly trained both the interface and your own mind the separate intents are strong enough independently that they might still be detectable? Or is there a case that if you're just so busy, your kid's crying, so you're thinking about how you have to help them and you're doing something and then you're thinking about the next thing you have to do that there's just too much interference. Like, is that yeah. such a thing? Do people have to train themselves to have clearer intents? Or is it, is it really the case that you can kind of pull them all apart as long as the algorithm's smart enough? I think we need to separate two things because you're getting into something interesting here. One is uh, the actual uh, intent, and let me break this down. Um, the motor cortex, which I mentioned earlier, right, is responsible for uh, planning and executing, right? You're talking about real execution where you can see me moving my arm, and then uh, right now I'm imagining moving my arm. You're not seeing it. That's the planning without execution. So on the execution part, as you would imagine and guess, the electrical activity is stronger because it actually, you know, like what it requires, you know, to do this, you know, there's more voltage there. And the plan, no, not as much. So it, that is something, you know, to take into consideration between discerning between a real movement, right? And then the actual planning of that movement. Uh, there, there's definitely overlap depending on, are you imagining the same movement that you're actually doing? like? That can get tricky, right? Uh, are you imagining, are you moving and imagining, let's say, you, the left part of your body moving without doing it? That's more discernible, right? Uh, you know, 
um, they are controlled in different parts of the brain. So that alone, right, we have sensors in both areas, both, have, uh, have, <clears throat> both hemispheres. Um, and that will give you an, an idea of discernibility. And then another whole uh, uh, challenge is discernibility between different uh, strain thoughts, which there's some, and we're still trying to figure out where is that line. Um, so yeah. Cool. So um, I think you've answered this, but just to make it explicit, because I think I, I, my mind went here pretty quick when I heard about the technology, and I wonder how many other people's minds went there, right? Where they feel yeah. like, I could never hook up to something like this. My brain would betray me, right? I would think a thought, man, I hate that person. I sure wish I could fire them. And then all of a sudden, the, the interface would generate a pink slip and send it out for me, right? Like, I know that's a couple steps forward from where we are now, but like, how do you separate idle thoughts that people have. I mean, I know you're talking about hooking into the motor cortex, but are those things truly different? Like you kind of were just talking about the plan versus the execution, like those idle thoughts when your brain is like, God, I really wish I could watch this show instead of what my wife is watching, right? And the TV flips over and you're like, sorry, I, I didn't have any control over that, right? Like, you know, how do you, is, is, is that accounted for or is that something people should be concerned about? Or is that like discipline or? The people shouldn't be concerned with that because we're not even that advanced. Like we're really talking about basic uh, motor base. Like we're not like, and the thing is, it's like, then you would have to define what a thought is, right? How we define what a thought is. So this is what I'm, I'm saying, motor based intentions, you know, right? Um, and that is like, we're picking up electricity from a specific part of the brain that is in control of your movement, right? And that is on, on one side of the API. But to give you some context, imagine that uh, you are listening to a conversation from your, uh, from your home, but if the conversation is taking place in another room or maybe in the second floor and you can just hear that there's something you don't understand. That. It may be recognized that there's a voice, but it's not clear, right? that might be a little bit closer to what we're talking about. So as far as I like thoughts of like, I like broccoli or I love pizza or I don't know, whatever random you're thinking about, uh, we're not even close to getting to that point. Um, but I can tell you the things um, that can be detected uh, these days um, at a very high level is like, are you feeling more happy or more sad? Which one? I'm, I'm not, I cannot, like this, this technology could not tell this person is feeling happy because of X, Y, and Z. Is it more one or the other? Because it, there, it is possible to recognize basic emotions. But you know like how high level I'm talking about. It's not like in the matrix, it's like, um, I know Kung Fu. And we're not even talking about right into the brain here. Like this device, this technology is read only, right? It doesn't do anything to you. This is not, this is a non-invasive, technology, uh, we're not implanting anything. This is like you put it on very similar to what you, how you put your headphones on. And then we're talking about, you know, electricity. And we're trying really hard and put in a lot of tech into understanding the very basic things that we can detect. So I wouldn't be worried about it. Cool. Now let's switch over to the code side of things. Um, really curious, I know you guys have an SDK that you're working on to go alongside this technology. I mean, to expose yeah. the to app authors interesting novel ways other than mouse clicks and, and, and keyboards to, to interact with people's devices or uh, people's applications. So what does that look like? Like um, if, if we wanted, to, you know, if somebody wanted to hook it up into their app, like what kind of information are they getting from you? What kind of 
things can they ask from you? Like, how does that SDK work? Yeah, so our SDK, I mean, our API, uh, what we aim to build is a, a brain API or a mind API. And this reflects so much in the code because when you are, when you are trying to access the API, you do const mind equals new notion. And like, that's how everything starts. After that, you can subscribe to different metrics, right? Um, the, the basically the control part, which we call kinesis, is uh, one of them. So you can do mind.kinesis and just pass a, um, basically a string that represents the, the kinesis, for example, uh, left hand movement. So mind.kinesis has like left hand movement that subscribe and you start getting events that are specifically um, related to that. So it would be very, it is very similar to how you subscribe to events of other things, right? Um, but we're talking about that in the actual hardware, the actual input events, I mean everything, are thousands a second. And we're crunching them down to the only the ones or the collection of the meaning of the groups of fire neurons that correlate to the one that you're looking for. So that's why there's so much code. That's why we have put so much work into our operating system. You know, we, we're building an operating system here, which is like the operating system of the brain, effectively, right? Uh, so you can, with a few lines of code, access things like that. And you can turn your lights on and off. You can scroll your computer. You can get insights into your mental you know, state uh, and many more things. But what I'm really excited about is that as you get the hardware, we're going to continually improve this, I mean, everything, but with a focus on the software so you can get over-the-air updates to the OS and the API and you get like, oh, now I can uh, detect my level of uh, creativity in real time because we added a new API without you having to get another device. Um, and that's something that I'm really excited about. So, and I do not want to minimize the SDK or the API in any way, but I asked this just to see if I have the right mental model and understood correctly. Is, is what the SDK is defining then a series of, say, available operations and you do what, a, as, an, as an app author, you do effectively like a, um, like a key mapping? Like, you know, the, the device can detect this many different uh, operations and then you go okay well a, a left hand pinch means switch the song to the next song a right hand pinch means previous song or something like that right is that effectively what it does um and if not or if not just that like do people define their own is there a way to define like a custom action like what does what would that even mean yeah you can train uh your what we call labels you can train your own labels or actions right and then you can, as an app developer, with a couple of Python code, detect that and then uh, decide what you want to do that. So this is something that uh, I am doing on my free time because I hack on my own technology in my free time. I'm a guitar player, and I've been playing the guitar for so long, and I, I love music and sound. And when I used to perform live, uh, I don't know how familiar you are, but you have like a pedal board that you have to like press with your foot. You know where I'm getting at here. Um, I, I bought a MIDI interface that I plugged into my amp. So basically I can control the sound of my, um, of my amp. 
uh, uh, wirelessly via Bluetooth, right? And something that I've been hacking on myself is, can I change the effects, right? Can I switch the effects with my thoughts? Or even better, can I uh, change my volume or the modulation of my tone based on a certain way I'm thinking, right? How can I influence my sound coming from myself, it's me, right? And that's something that I'm doing. So like as an app developer, if I wasn't developing this technology, um, I would be creating applications that, that allow me to do better art, right? To, to, to make things more unique in myself. I would be uh, trying to optimize my environment. Maybe I can be more productive if I start switching my windows and scrolling, do a lot of the things we do with our hands with my thoughts. Uh, if you haven't watched the talk, I'm going to give you a quick snippet. It's like we are clicking, uh, pressing, and tapping more than, than 1,000 times a day. And I think that really talks to how we're really using our bodies in order to interact with technology, which is something that is, has been overlooked. So we're trying to do something about that and many other things. And that's why we say we're we are about empowering the mind. Awesome. So um, again, so as, as app authors, like I both love this ability to, even if it was only mapping, I think that's powerful. Like even if just to say, you know, in your instruction manual, you know, pinch with your left hand, think about pinch with your left hand, think about pinch with your right or whatever, that kind of stuff. But then this idea of exposing some of the innards, right? Like that seems incredibly powerful and flexible. I guess my question is, is, um, you know, app authors are experts in their own domain. So how would SDK and how would your system help them not fall into a lot of pitfalls related to that, right? Like, I mean, if you could theoretically compose their curiosity level and their happiness level and their sadness level along with whatever types of like motor actions they're trying to, you know, how do people learn how to tie that together to something that's useful for their application? Do they need to be experts in brain or machine learning to do that or... Um, is that something that might be possible for average people to, yeah. to figure out? So the first thing is like, because we don't even have this information available to us, like what happens when you are able to get insights of quantifying self of your basic emotion states, right? Like how does that change you? Because remember, there's a feedback loop. As you get this information presented to you and you're learning and you're like, oh, wait, that's not how I thought I was feeling. Or wait, that's exactly how I thought I was feeling. How does that change people? So I think the first step is to really expose information, which is exactly what we're working so hard to give that information to people, right? That's the first step. Um, the second step is that we're doing most of the heavy lifting so you don't. So we have our own algorithms that are going to give you the, the data that you would expect, right? Um, uh, kinesis, uh, emotion, uh, engagement, concentration, creativity, like the, the things that we can pick up at a very high level. But also, we're going to give you uh, a way to implement your own algorithms as well because we believe that we don't have all the answers to all the problems that have to do with our data. So what is a better way to empower the developers to build the future is that allow them to do whatever that whatever to work on whatever they want because is this data is coming from them 
right? Is, is, is their brain and they should be able to, to be creative with it. What's going to happen uh, at that point? I don't know, but I've just seen positive and amazing things. Like, I'm so excited. Uh, I cannot tell you how, for how many years uh, I've struggled to do anything uh, useful with the consumer or with the current available technology in the new tech space, right? This is why we had to start from scratch. This is why we had to create new hardware. The software that we were writing, we're pushing the limits and the boundaries of any, everything else that existed. So how can we make that happen? Take a big step back. You write all the pain points of, you know, brain-computer interface, uh, brain-computer interfaces, and then you start tackling each one of them one at a time. And this is what, um, and this is what we've done. Awesome. So, you know, what struck me a little bit is that. Um, you know, I've, I've programmed with uh, the Amazon Alexa devices. I'm sure Google Home is much the same way, but I've done like some, some skills, Alexa skills before. And I know I've spoken to people and they're like, oh my gosh, you've done stuff with Alexa. That must be the most amazing, most complicated thing in the world. And what's fascinating about it is I tell people, I said, it's, it's almost trivial because all of the brains is in the Alexa. <laughs> you tell Amazon, I, here's, a, here's sentences I want you to parse and the pieces of data from the sentences I want you to parse um, and then give that to my function. And then it's just like data sent in through an API any other way you write your integrations, you know? Um, I think yeah. these zero UI interface technologies are really fascinating because of that. Now, I guess I didn't give a question for this, but I mean, like, it sounds like you guys are doing much the same thing. Is that what you guys are striving to do? This idea of you guys own the complexity, people will eventually just sort of explain what it is they're looking to get and you, know, you kind of help them with that. Or do you see a difference between voice and neural connection or other than obviously one coming from the brain and one coming from the mouth? Right, so yes, uh, it's the first answer, but like whether it's voice, whether it's thought, whether it's actual you know, keyboard mouse, like all of these are ways to express your thoughts through, right? Uh, some of them require a different type of interaction, but we're talking about user interfaces in here. So yeah, we definitely want to make it as easy as possible for you to interface as efficiently and as easy as possible, right, with these tools. This is why we're creating these tools, is so you can start composing the same way you do with voice, you know, that you are, uh, Detecting meaning out of different things, we call them labels, right? Whether it's like the action, the verb, and all of these things, thoughts. We, they don't they don't work the same way because we're not tapping into like the uh, like the language. We're not trying to detect language as you think about language. It's a whole other problem, and that's actually extremely difficult. But as as when it comes to like emotional states, uh, motor based intentions, you will be able to start composing your own ways of interacting, and that is very important. And I'm happy you mentioned like skills, right? There will be uh, thought based skills, and that is a big part of it. To be honest, you know, like you need to be able to wrap up this way of interfacing with thoughts to something tangible and real. Um, and I can think of a million skills that, I mean, we started, I started writing my, my, my own, the one that I'm personally excited about. I gave an example of the um, guitar amp control. 
Awesome. So uh, I'm going to pivot to something that might be a little bit challenging, but you know, I hope people would be wondering this as well. And this is the concept of, of ethics, right? Ethics in software is maybe an undertaught or under-considered uh, field, right? And I think a lot of people recently have been waking up to the amount of data that they are giving out to all these sorts of companies for free. Yeah. And certainly, you know, reading directly from our minds and, and this future of potentially, I mean, if, even if we're not there now, this potentially this future of letting potential applications know how happy we are or how sad we are might expose a lot of information about ourselves that we may not realize. So I'm really curious, you know, how do you guys treat and consider privacy? How do you guys treat and consider ethics in this area? Not maybe not just as even as a company, but you know, what do you think people should be thinking of and the things as a community we should be considering now before these neural interfaces are everywhere and you know, so people can kind of own who they are and you know what their brain is. Yeah. Privacy is for us is first class citizen. Actually, we are secure by design because we design the hardware, so your your EEG, your brain, your raw brain waves, they don't leave the device. This is the only device that is, does this, and I'll tell you why. Traditional brain-computer interfaces, right? They basically relay those microvolts and that data that to computer or to anything trying to receive it. We don't. We have so much computing power that we don't need to relate that to anything. Our device is the computer. And what is good about this is that that data, that raw data, it doesn't leave the device. So that's the first step. It's like, do not send raw data. It, you know, we don't know how, what meaning we could find in this data 10 years from now, right? So we need to, to really protect that, you know, with, with our hearts here, or with our minds. But my point is, that's the first thing that we're doing. So what we are, uh, what goes out outside of the device is like metadata. And what we think it could mean that you're moving your arm, right? That type of data goes out. Now, another layer that we're doing as well is that the user has to grant permission for each application to certain metrics. The same way your browser, you need to enable the camera and the microphone and Bluetooth access, like we need to do the same thing because you need to be able to say, okay, I'm going to allow you to be able to understand this part, right? So permission-based metric is something that is extremely crucial. And those are two things that by design, we've done it even before like this product is out there in the market, right? This is how important and how crucial it is for us to be doing this right now. And anyone that is not taking, making those type of decisions right now, it, you know, like, it's just very sad that users' privacy is not put, you know, in the, right in the front. So uh, that's something that we take very seriously. I, I mean, I appreciate you said that, especially the, 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 the um, in-depth, in, you know, uh, the, the permissions that are specific to the types of metrics that you want to allow or not allow. You know, I, I, yeah. I that was gonna be one of my follow-up questions. I was so glad I was like, Oh, there you go. You got it. Um, you know, I just think that's the kind of stuff that's going to be so important for people to um, accept technology like this, because you can even see it on some of the comments on the Ted talk. I mean, you never go into the comments section, but out of curiosity, uh, there's a lot of people talking about this is the, this is the end of days. Suddenly everybody can read our brains and this is, you know, 
nothing will ever be private again, right? And, and I think yeah. those, that doesn't have to be true if we consider privacy upfront. And I think you would probably agree. If privacy is considered upfront and we're not just infinitely permissive, um, then we really can have a system where we, we are controlling our own interface, what we send out, as opposed yeah. to giving it all away to the app developers, which is, I think, powerful. We aim to be the most trusted neurotech company out there. If we're a user-centric company, that has to come first. And that's just the, those are the steps that we have taken. Um, because we are here to live this world just slightly better and to empower minds. And if we're not doing that, then what's the point, right? Uh, working on a startup that's doing developing future tech is not the easiest of things, right? Um, you know, I could go back and have a, a normal job where I don't have to pull my hair so many times. So we definitely are doing all this work. So the, the impact that this technology can have is on the positive side. Awesome. So one of the ways that we like to sort of round out the ends of some of these podcasts is really focusing on the sense of community, right? A lot of us are involved in the community, open source projects and communities. That's what makes, especially web development, especially the JavaScript environment, so fun to, to be a part of is just how much people collaborate on stuff. So I'm um, really curious for anybody that was interested, um, both, so there's a lot of different ways people can be interested. First is if anybody's fascinated by the science, do you have any advice on places that they should go or look? for, I'll ask them one at a time. So for anybody that's just interested in the science of how you guys are reading this brain stuff and, and measuring it and detecting it, you know, is there a place that those people should be looking to get involved in conversations, um, even if they're not necessarily brain scientists <laughs> gonna do original research? Oh yeah, there is a huge neurotech community with the most kind and smart and amazing people that you can find. And that is called Neurotech X. They have a Slack channel, um, and they have so much open source software for people who want to get started that have the foundation of like how EEG works. They have you know the EEG 101, so some um, open source notebooks on on how these things you know really work. So Neurotech X, um, they have chapters in most major cities in the world. You know. Uh, uh, a newsletter, they have a Slack channel, and I would say that's, a, that's probably the, the best starting point. If I have to get, uh, get a little bit of recommendations on, on when it comes to the science, uh, where to start, uh, there's a book, a book I love called uh, Mind Wide Open that has a lot of interesting bits. Uh, and also signal processing is like, uh, if you want to start diving into like how this works. Right. If we're talking about a stream of microvolts, like how do we deal with that? Signal processing is, uh, there are many different steps that you can do to treat signal. Uh, mostly signal coming from the brain. So those would be my recommendations. Also, my team, uh, AJ Keller and Sophia Bachelor on Twitter, uh, you know, they, they also post a lot of very useful information about science and the tech. So which came first for you? Was it the knowledge came first or was it the inspiration? Like, did you know the brain stuff and then got inspired of its applications? Or, or did someone sell you on the vision and you were like, okay, now I got to read about the brain. <laughs> like, which way did it work for you? Ah, uh, which way did it come for me? I didn't have the knowledge. Uh, I always wanted the things that I don't know how to do. <laughs> I didn't have the knowledge for sure. I didn't have it. 
I had to I had to acquire it. Um, so it was more of I have the skills. I'm building to the UIs that work with mouse and keyboards. I've been doing it for more than ten years. Like, what's next? I love the brain. There's so much we don't know. We haven't really reversed engineered it, right? Um, so I just got an obsession on how this all works. I don't have a I don't have a background in you know in neuroscience. I mean, for that matter, I don't even have a background in computer science. I, I, I taught how to code myself, or I learned how to code by myself. Um, but you know, everything you, you need is just like a desire to do something and just start doing it. I, I love that lesson, right? I mean, because there's just a lot of people that hear someone who's come a long way on a journey and built something really cool and just figures that you were a child prodigy that was learning about the brain when you were 12 and nobody else could possibly do anything interesting or catch up, right? And I, I like that idea that it's, when you're inspired by the vision, then, then you, can, you, can, you can overcome some of those obstacles. Catch oh up yeah, them. not special at all, uh, <laughs> anything but. I think you're selling yourself short, but even still, <laughs> it's still a great lesson for people that, um, you know, you don't have to be intimidated by what you think people in the field know. You know, if you have, the, if you have that passion, certainly. Passion, yeah, it's a big one. It's definitely a big one, passion. So for people that want to play with the SDK, um, I know that you guys have, I, I think, a way for people to sign up. You know, who are the types of people that should consider signing up? Um, is it only companies that are selling products? Um, are, is it students? Is it open source hackers? You know, like who, wait, who are the types of people that should, that, that should feel permitted to uh, go into that? And what should they know when, because a device would have to probably be related to it. So yeah, know, what cost goes into that? What kind of, you know, what, what, what should they know about that? Anyone watching this podcast should uh, sign up for our wait list. So if you go to neurosity.co, uh, you'll find it there. Uh, we have a lot of people. And uh, if you're interested in what you heard and interested in JavaScript, like this, this thing is for you, for sure. Like hardware, software, we couldn't have worked harder to make the API as accessible as it is right now. And uh, we really look forward to launching soon uh, for this developer kit. We're super excited, we're super stoked. Um, we're having so much fun using this thing and I cannot wait to see what people are going to be building with it. Awesome. I mean, time has flown by. So we're already here at the end. You know, again, one of the ways that we finish off is just with the last thought, right? We had a long conversation. Sometimes there was something we meant to say or wanted to say, um, and we save it to this point. Um, my thought. What's that? Yeah. What's a thought? Uh, yeah. And uh, so my thought on this is just, you know, I am so fascinated for what people will be able to do with this with respect to accessibility. I think that is fascinating. I, and even, even accessibility beyond the ways that people think. Disability would certainly be one way in which it would be excellent, right? But there's a lot of cases where people are temporarily um, occupied or incapacitated in, in myriad ways. And the ways that this interface could just make lives easier, right? I, I keep thinking like, um, I have a young child, so just thinking about what that could do for a busy mom's life or a busy father's life when they're running around, they have kids in each arm, and just the ability to control, 
<laughs> turn on another episode of Paw Patrol if they need to. You know, whatever it is, the ability to just help people out um, by freeing up their hands sounds so amazing that I'm with you that I can't wait until all the open source hackers start building really cool stuff that we can't even imagine right now, the two of us. Uh, yeah. So that's my thought. Is there anything else that you wanted to say either about uh, Neurosity, about Notion, about this area of neural JavaScript um, to leave people with? I'm, I'm with you. And I think you summarized it perfectly. It's like, what can you do when you have that power, right? If you think about it, it's, it's pretty much like, it's a superpower, right? Like, what can compare to it, really, from, from what we can actually do today? So what can you do when you free your hands? I, I think you summarized it beautifully, and this is, this is exactly what empowering the mind is all about. So thank you. Awesome. Well, with that, um, that'll be it for today's podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this modern web podcast on neural JavaScript. Um, we want to thank our guest, Alex, for being here to be the expert and, and teach us all things to do with this. Um, but as always, the conversation does not have to stop here. You can find both of us on Twitter. So you can find Alex online on Twitter at Castillo underscore underscore IO. So that's C-A-S-T-I-L-L-O, two underscores, and then IO. Uh, you can find me online on Twitter at RoboCell, so that's R-O-B-O-C-E-L-L. -L. If you want to find the podcast, you can find us online at modern.web, sorry, moderndotweb.com, or on Twitter at modern.web. So that's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs.